everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. Each week, we also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week, it's episode 24, Anthrax, Joey vs. John. We will debate which era of Anthrax's illustrious career was better, Belladonna's or Bush's. And later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best, with this week's big four Anthrax songs. And we've got more rusty metal and freshly forged picks for you. But before we begin, let's revisit last week's episode, Odd Album Out Part 2. We spoke about Van Halen, Accept, Judas Priest, Metallica, Kiss, and Rush. Each of those bands have an album that stands out from their awesome catalogs for a variety of reasons, and we debated the good, the bad, and the ugly of those albums. So if you missed last week's episode or any of the other ones, you can download and listen to us on all the major podcast platforms. And please don't forget to rate us or leave a review. We also want to hear your opinion on these and all our topics, so send an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or go to our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages and leave a comment or message us and tell us your opinion. Now, Chris, what was our big four last week? Last week, we picked our big four Rush songs. To check out that list, go to our social media pages and let us know what your big four songs are from Canada's greatest rock band. All right, well, it's time to start things off, and I kind of want to talk about something that's happening in the metal news right now. It's uh, it's piqued my interest, having been a wrestling fan growing up and having been a Skid Row fan. Let's talk about the feud between Skid Row's former singer, Sebastian Bach, and Fozzie singer, Chris Jericho. You know, I'm beginning to think that this is a little bit of a work. That's just That's my opinion. my thoughts, too. Especially since Chris is a wrestler, I'm beginning to think that this is work. Because they were good friends, and Sebastian knows how Chris sings, and Chris knows how Sebastian sings. But, that being said, I do see, to some extent, where Sebastian is critical, and wh- or why he's critical of Chris. Because I witnessed firsthand... A Fozzie concert when he opened up for Slash a few years back. They played at the House of Blues here in Houston. And I was immediately kind of like, whoa, what's with the big background vocals? There's only two guys on stage or two guys singing on stage besides Chris. And those background vocals were huge. I mean, it sounded studio-like. That's not. There's nothing wrong with that. Lots of bands do that. You know what? You want to throw backing tracks to make your, 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 your background vocals sound fine? I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem when you're playing to a track in general, whether it's the bassist, a lead guitar player, or a singer. But Yeah, I mean, we've seen that with other bands where they're they're clearly singing or not, not singing, and that's the problem is is they're lip syncing to, to tracks in the background and they're not even close to the mic and somehow it's coming out the same volume, et cetera. 
and that's become something that's that's kind of controversial in the metal world right now. A lot of people have brought it up. It, it's something that that we have to kind of live with in this era, but I think questioning it is important. Um, that being said, I don't think Chris is is doing that. I think he is amplified by backing tracks, and that's just kind of what they're doing. I, I everybody's playing up on the stage. He's singing up on the stage. So I, I don't know where this is coming from other than it's possibly some kind of story, you know, wrestling style to <laughs> draw attention it's to a work. both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I saw the video that they're, they're, they're criticizing or one of the videos that they're criticizing. And it, I mean, it's obvious as daylight that there's something going on with the background vocals. And because something's going on with the background vocals, it overpowers whatever Chris is doing himself as a singer, being the main vocalist. But it's only during the vocals or during the, the chorus, okay? And it's a, it's the song Judas um, that's his big hit single. Like I said, I don't have a problem with the fact that they're, they're pumping background vocals. You know what? That's fine because, you know, there's a good possibility that the musicians in the band might not be the greatest background vocalists or, or singers in general. It may have been Chris and the producer who did all the background vocals, and to make it sound good in concert, they just put bring in the tracks. Again, I don't have a problem with that, as long as he's singing legit when he sings the, the verses, as long as the band is actually playing their instruments. And I don't see Rich Ward not playing his instrument. Uh, in the video, you could tell that the drummer's playing his drum, so it, it's, it's only the other guitar player and the bassist if there's any question about that, which I doubt there is. Yeah. You know, um, the, to, to say that Chris is singing, is lip-syncing the whole song, I, I truly, truly doubt that. As, as much as Chris is, you know, a decent vocalist, I, I, I really don't think that he's faking it. Yeah, I mean, he's, to me, he's, I've always loved Chris Jericho. I think he's hysterical. I I don't think he's the best vocalist ever. I really don't. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of Fozzie's music over the years. I've listened to him since the very beginning when they first came out. My favorite album of theirs was their third album. I want, man, I, I can't even remember what it was called, but uh, I thought it was fantastic. I listened to that album a lot. They kind of drifted away from the style that i like judas is a very cool song but overall it's 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 just not my thing anymore but i've always respected jericho do you know he's a great example of you know if you if you believe in yourself if you believe you can do something you can make it happen i mean he's he's made all of his dreams come true and becoming a wrestler becoming a rock star doing all that so i i've always been impressed with him it's it's a little odd to me that two guys that were friends would suddenly go into a feud like this it just feels very wrestling <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's like i said at the beginning i think it's a work whatever whatever it may be just to get fans just to get people talking during this pandemic that's fine i don't care it's not it's not a big deal it is kind of funny the album that i think that you're referring to with fozzy is all that remains yes uh, that's, that's the one yeah that's the one that came out in 2005 his third album um, yeah they did that one and they did a, a all that remains reloaded which was a little bit better mixed i think and and it's it's one of those that it's worth listening to the remastered version that's cool um 
you know, and for for what it's worth, I guess a, a little bit of it too is 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 a way to get Sebastian Bach's name back out there because you know, you know, with the pandemic and him not being able to tour, he's not you know getting a lot of money <laughs> right now. Well, I, I, you know, I think uh, that boils down to a lot of things that are going on right now is that people just are not active. They're not doing the things they would normally do. They're frustrated. They're sitting at home, unable to to live their lives the way they've been living, and everybody's a little bit agitated and on edge and and i hopefully we can all be a little bit forgiving of this this uh mentality and kind of move forward and be a bit more positive yeah of course i mean we we all need to stick together and stick this you know stick stick together and get through this uh and and we'll all come out on on the other side of this uh you know better people we hope and get back to being uh, or get back to doing what we normally do and going to concerts and buying music and all that good stuff. So let's hope that all works out pretty soon because uh, this is starting to drag on a little too long now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so let's get to our, our Rusty Metal and Freshly Forged for this week. My pick this week for Rusty Metal is the debut album from Man of War called Battle Hymns. came out in August of 1982. They are a New York band. They basically became the pioneers of power metal. Battle Hymns is actually considered the first power metal album to be released. It's it's a it's a really different album when you listen to all the metal that was coming out at that time. It's it's definitely different, but it was also in line with all the vocalists that are you know the the screamers out there and and the excess that was on these albums. He was definitely one of them. One of the cool things about that album is that it, it contains a bass solo version of William's Tale, and it's played at lightning speed by Joey DeMeo. If you ever get a chance to listen to it, it is super cool. I mean, it's less than two minutes long, and it goes through the whole piece of music, I call it that. Pretty impressive when you think about it, because it's only played on a bass. I think it's a piccolo bass that it was played on. And the album also features an appearance by... American actor Orson Welles, who gained international fame as a director and a narrator of a radio adaption of H.G. Wells, no relation, H.G. Wells' novel War of the Worlds, which caused widespread panic because many of the listeners thought that the extraterrestrial invasion was actually happening. <laughs> so, it's a, Yeah, that's a, a really interesting story. I'm sure most of you have heard of War of the Worlds. There was a, there was a uh, couple movie adaptations of that story. And he's a pretty prolific writer, wrote some really great stories. So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So Orson was one of those sought-after narrators due to his booming baritone voice and his very unique delivery. So they, they got him to record a spoken word piece for the first album. But at the same time, they also recorded some other pieces for, I guess, a demo that they had at the time for the song Defender which would come out the following year in 1983 as a single but then it wouldn't be it was uh it re-recorded in 1987 on their Fighting the World LP and I think that version that came out Fighting the World is much better and they used an alternate take for Orson's speech that he played, that he did in the song really cool I I love both versions but you could tell that the 1987 version of that song is much better so anyway, a couple of tidbits on this album, or actually on the band. This was Man of War's first album, but they did not gain success again 
really until 1987 with the Fighting the World LP. That's when they gained their international fame. And they basically made Europe their home base. They have really never come back. Uh, they've done very few American shows over their entire career because America just never got them. Uh, it may have something to do with the fact that they were wearing loincloths <laughs> for, for their shows. Um, <laughs> They've got some great album covers. They do. I think we've talked about them before. Uh, they got better later on when they actually got that uh, Ken Kelly to do the artwork. But they hold a couple of records, uh, which is pretty cool. They hold the record for the loudest concert, uh, and they've actually broken it twice. So the, the Guinness Book of World Record uh, Records, excuse me. And they also hold the Guinness Book of World Records record for the longest heavy metal concert, clocking in at five hours and one minute. Oh, so wow. That's that's Man of War for you in a nutshell. Five hours and one minute. Yeah, that's a long concert, man. <laughs> wow. All right. So um, my pick for Freshly Forged, I don't have a tremendous amount of information. I looked up. A bit about the band, but I really couldn't find much, and I think that's almost intentional. They're fairly new, and when I looked even on their their, uh, social media pages, if you look under the members of the band, it just says the name of the band. It doesn't (laughs) actually break it down. They seem like they're trying to be a bit mysterious, which is really kind of cool. And I was taken a bit aback by it. I had to listen to the album kind of all the way through because... You know, usually uh, when I'm when I'm picking these, I'm going through and I'm I'm listening to, you know, a, a full list of finding all the new releases coming out for metal, and it, it's a cool experience because I'm actually finding a lot of interesting new music that way. It almost feels like back when I used to go to the record store and you know just pick out some random album, and it's kind of refreshing a bit, but. Unfortunately, I don't like a lot of the new stuff that I'm hearing, but it is kind of a fun experience. But this one was very intriguing to me, and I ended up listening to the whole thing and just also going back and listening to a few tracks just to kind of decipher why I enjoyed it. And this this is a, a band from Austin, Texas called Skeleton. They're, it's their, their debut album, also called Skeleton. It just came out. I would describe it as kind of like a thrash black death metal punk i it's all of those elements and when you listen to it you'll understand what i'm saying it has all of those those elements tied into it and it's really interesting it's almost like listening to an early de- uh, black metal album but good <laughs> <laughs> like well recorded and it has melodic elements to it as well as thrash elements and there's just so much there and it sounds like they're not trying but in a good way so it's really interesting Uh, i don't have a lot more information than that they have social media pages you can find their uh their record on Bandcamp or 20 buck spin so there's there's a few options of how to find it. I listen to it on Google Play. I'm sure it's on Spotify and some of the others. But give it a try. It is really cool. And I'd love to know more about the band because the, the mystique is really appealing. But there's just not a lot out there. Are there any pictures of the band in, in, on this Facebook page? There's one picture. And it's, it's very um, uh, photoshopped. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're, they're, it's black and white and you can't see a lot like their faces are kind of covered or if they're not covered they're just there's not a lot of detail it's it's very black and white there's not a lot of gray tones there um there it's, it's just really mysterious but i that's that's kind of a cool thing wow okay cool well that's definitely something i'm going to check out so that being said, <laughs> we're going to get to the main topic finally. Anthrax, one of my favorite bands. We're going to be discussing Joey versus John. Which era was better? Now, I'm going to be on Joey's side. And Chris, you're on John's side. I've, oh, I thought I was taking uh, Dan, Dan Nelson's Dan Nelson. side. Well, but, if you oh. take Dan Nelson, then I, I, I at least get to pick Neil Turbin, which actually has a recorded album. all right all right so yes i'm taking uh john bush's side on this one cool i gotta say both bands or both eras are extremely unique um both eras are successful for different reasons but obviously the john bush era had the most difficulty uh, which is a shame because John Bush is one of the best metal vocalists out there. And they ran into to trouble with the record company. And it's a shame because although the, the, the records may not have been the strongest at the time when they, when they got dropped by um, Elektra, it was one of those things where they had some a couple of good songs that probably could have carried the, the album. But the, there was no push because there was a change in management at the record company. So it's unfortunate that the John was part of that, I guess, falling apart. But yet, at the same time, the band stayed together and, and carried through, which was really cool. Flip side to oh, my... Oh, yeah. They had really terrible luck during this time period. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the 90s, the, the late 90s and early 2000s were not, not kind to Anthrax. No, I've I've listened to several interviews, and I I listened to one not too long ago with John Bush, and he kind of described all of the issues that they had, and it was it was exactly what you're saying. It was just the record company not coming through on promises, changes in record companies because they did not have any confidence in in the people that held their contract. I mean, it was just a lot of bad luck, and and the albums never got pushed the way they should have because of all this this just crap that kept happening to them it's just a really unfortunate oh yeah it was, it was it was terrible i mean and and for a lot of bands that could have put them out of business but anthrax stayed the course they they did everything they could to stay together part of it that also happened at that time you know in the late 90s when all this started happening is that they allowed John to go back to, to Armored Saint. So that kind of held things, I guess, a little bit together for John, you know, where he was able to say, yeah, I'm still the vocalist for Anthrax, but I'm doing this quote-unquote side project, which is my main band, Armored Saint, or used to be my main band, but now, you know, so now it was the side project. Um, But yeah, lesser bands would have just folded you know, luckily they had, I guess, you know, the uh, Scott and Charlie and Frankie had some money, I guess, you know, coming in from from their success from the from the the Joe years to be able to maintain them. But man, it was it was a rough rough deal. I mean, when you put out a record 
and all of a sudden, like literally the next day, your your record company folds. <laughs> that's that's pretty bad, you know. Oh yeah, and that was I, I can't even imagine. That was Ignition yeah, that, Records when they released Volume Eight. Yeah, all that effort and and just no payoff whatsoever. No, I mean it wasn't the best album in the world, but they had some songs that they could that could have carried the record, and that's the thing. No, I, I really like Inside Out. I think it's a it's a very strong song. Um, I think they had quite a few singles on that album. If I don't, if I remember correctly, they had uh, Crush and uh, Crush, Catharsis, Piss and Vinegar. Piss and Vinegar is an interesting song. Uh, I like Crush. I like Catharsis. I love Inside Out. That's a cool. I mean, the video is pretty pretty insane too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's a good album. You know, most of the rest of it's a throwaway, but that the, the the beginning of the albums is is pretty damn good um well that, that can be said for a lot of anthrax's albums to be honest. <laughs> exactly I mean, aside from among the living it's kind of that way on a lot of their albums even though they're a classic band and they've had so many hits and um you know they're they're synonymous with the thrash uh sound it just they're They've never had just really super solid albums all the way through. The big, the big thing you could, if you want to criticize Anthrax. Now, granted, before I say this, Anthrax is one of my favorite albums. They, I mean, excuse me, Anthrax is one of my favorite bands. They are definitely a top ten band for me, if not top seven, when it comes to my favorite bands. I have seen them nine times. They're tied with Queensryche for the mo- for the second most times I've seen a band, and. uh it is bar none, you know, one of the best shows out there as far as just pure energy. I mean, stage show. I mean, they're they're a they are a club act for the most part. When they play big stages, it's usually because they're being brought with other other talent. You know, like they opened up for Lamb of God a few years back. Um, so when they when they when they headline themselves, they're playing clubs. When they're on big stages. They're being brought out by bigger acts. That's fine. We, we live with that. They're one of my favorite bands. But the big criticism that I that that you and I actually spoke about earlier this afternoon is their consistency. Their albums sound different from album to album. The songs are different from album to album. Now, whether that's good or bad is debatable, and that's what we're doing. But um, well, I, I think yeah, I think that's a valid point. I don't think personally, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think. Bands have to experiment to survive oftentimes. Uh, there's obviously exceptions to that. Like we mentioned Slayer earlier this, today when we were talking about this. Um, Slayer is one of those bands that rarely strayed from their path and was still successful. But they only really kept their core fan base. You know, they, they, they never grew to super heights. But that's what they wanted, you know, and that's, that's fine with me. Like, I, I like Slayer as Slayer was. You know, so I I don't I didn't want them to do a progressive album like Megadeth did. Um, that being said, this band is one that constantly experimented, and from album to album, they rarely ever sounded cohesive. I would say the difference being the the two new albums from Joey Belladonna's era or his second era in the band, and then the the time that John Bush was in the band they kind of had a steady uh, pace about what they were doing. They, you know, they had alternative metal kind of mixed with thrash 
And there wasn't really a whole lot of huge difference between those albums, even though each had an individual sound, but they still sounded a little bit more consistent than what they did with Joey before. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned to you earlier today, the first three Anthrax albums, now mind you, there's two different singers on those first three albums. The first three albums, if you listen to them individually, and it was like a, like a blind taste test, you would think it's three different bands. No doubt, hands down, it's three different bands. You could barely identify anything that's similar from one album to the next. And that, well, I think spreading the disease had some similarities to Among the Living, uh, but spreading the disease had much stronger bass than uh, Among the Living had a really weak bass sound. It even did. though it's to me, it's the best Joey Belladonna album. My, it's one of my favorites as well. That that album is what basically got me into Anthrax. So going backwards and hearing what they they did it, at the time, it was okay because it was that's what kind of was the the music at the time. So when to to listen to Among the Living, you're like, whoa, this is definitely a lot different than what they did on Spreading the Disease. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know it, it's one of those things where I love Joey as a vocalist. Um, he, you know, we the the joke or and it's not even a joke that the the phrase that goes around the industry is that he is the, the he's the Steve Perry of heavy metal because he's got that kind of voice and he is in a Journey cover band. So, so there oh, you I go. I didn't know that. That's oh yeah, he's in a Journey tribute band. So uh, I mean, the guy's got pipes. Don't get me wrong. The, Absolutely. I mean, he's a great singer. I've met Anthrax a couple of times uh, when they came through here uh, on the Worship Music uh, Tour. I met them. I did a VIP thing and got to meet them backstage. They signed my jacket and, and you know, pretty cool stuff. I had met them originally when the State of Euphoria album came out in 1988. And they did an in-store signing at a Peaches Records in Miami. And I uh, stood in line, got to meet them. They signed my album. They actually signed this, uh, also one of those CD3 singles that, that came out from Japan. And I remember um, Danny Spitz, he uh, he had never seen that. And he was like showing Frankie. He's like, hey, man, have you ever seen anything like this? I've never seen this before. And it was so cool because they were. he was like so excited. He's like, wow, this is really neat. So I got all five of the guys to sign that at the time. And that so that was the classic lineup back then. Really cool. So... Joey, in my opinion, it's it's really hard. I mean, this this debate that you and I are gonna are having tonight is really difficult because both singers are excellent, and both singers did what they what they were asked to do for the time period that they were in the band. And John brings a lot more to the table as far as a vocalist, a lyricist, a musician than Joey does, but Joey's got pipes. You know. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say John doesn't because John has a really powerful voice. Oh, like he, I, I prefaced this: that John's one of the best metal vocalists out there. Yeah, he, he has a he, he has a different style of singing entirely. But what's really great about the way he sings is he just has so much power and what, what's not an enthusiasm, but he it's like. When he sings, you you believe what he's saying, you know. Like mm-hmm. he just he has so much conviction behind the way he sings, right? That it's just it's it it pulls you in. 
I mean, he, he doesn't give anything but 100% on anything he does, anything oh, and everything. Yeah, watch a performance from him. Watch the way he sings. Watch how much how much effort goes into it. And, and, and conversely, effortlessness goes into it. Because there's, it's, it's, if you watch, you understand exactly what I'm saying. He just has this, this ability that he utilizes fully. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the things that he did on their Music of Mass Destruction uh, DVD concert that they released, he talks about a particular song. And in the song, the song has what he says is a lot of passion. And I believe John, in general, like you're describing him, the conviction and the passion that he has for, for what he does as a vocalist is, is bar none. You know, but that being said, Joey, he's the voice of Anthrax to me. You, you, you can't deny that people who grew up on Anthrax, you know, know Joey. Um, and John is kind of like, he was a guy that was in the band for a while. And then Joey's back. It's really weird because I don't like to put it that way because John had had such a good career with Anthrax, but at the same time, everyone knows Joey with Anthrax. Well, I mean, for me, I grew up the the first time I ever heard Anthrax and knew it was Anthrax was John. The first album that I ever heard from them entirely was uh, Sound of White Noise. So, to me, that was the the Anthrax that I grew up with. And then I learned about Joey later. And and being that they weren't one of my favorite bands growing up, it was, you know, it was a while before I really learned about Joey's time in the band. And and I wouldn't necessarily 100% agree with you because I remember Scott Ian did an interview a long time ago uh, with Eddie Trunk where he talked about, you know, John was in the band it was it was during kind of a rocky period and i think john had left and then kind of came back to do some shows with them yeah correct me if i'm wrong yeah that um, was that was um during the um before the dan nelson debacle yeah so when he came back and and musicians will say this a lot of times you know because they're trying to appease whoever's in the band or you know, try to try to to believe in what the product they're they're selling is. You can tell when somebody's being really truly sincere. And uh, Scott was so thrilled to have Joey. I'm sorry to have John in the band. And he said, "John's the guy that I always wanted. John's the voice that I always wanted for Anthrax." And I'm so glad he's back. And it, there was just a lot of sincerity there. That you know, it's. I, I believed it. I think that his time in the band was just so plagued with, with, uh, pardon me, but bullshit, that it's just really unfortunate. That's that's what happened because it does seem like that was the anthrax that Scott wanted. I I, I truly I agree with you. I truly believe that that is a, a very true statement coming from Scott. It's unfortunate that John would turn around afterward and say basically he didn't want to be in the band anymore. Because he came and did them a favor, basically. I mean, you, you also got to think about it from John's standpoint. You got a band who they were they were together. They had a very what I would consider a very successful album with um, "We've Come for You All." Uh, it was basically a comeback album for that band after going through everything they went through with Volume Eight. 
you know, and then, you know, it basically it took him five years to put that album out between, you know, John going back to Armored Saint for a little bit, doing a little bit of a tour, and then coming back to Anthrax to make the new album. I mean, that was an album, at that point, the album of their career. And it's an excellent album, and it's diverse, but at the same time, it's heavy in, in almost all manners. And, and it's 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 rated really well among among uh, reviewers of the time. It was nominated for an outstanding hard rock album at the 2004 California Music Awards, but they lost to Plink 182, which is just oh, disgusting. But <laughs> embarrassing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, this was a comeback album. It's it's really good. I. I, I don't see anything wrong with the album. It's 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 just unfortunate. It, it, well, to me, yeah. Go ahead. The the bum thing about it is is that after that, whether it was I don't know who was their manager at the time that they released "We've Come for You All." It, it, it may have still been Johnny Z. I'm not exactly sure, but. You know, the bottom line is that they, they, they then come out and, and they say that they want to do a, a tour, an anniversary tour with Joey. It's like, if, if John is your guy, okay, then John is your guy. Why are you even entertaining the fact that you want to have Joey sing on an anniversary tour? And, and the bottom yeah. line of that is the dollar, is money. You know, and it's unfortunate because basically you chose money or somebody chose money over the fact that you want you have the singer that you want in your band. Then how do you expect John to feel when you sit there and say, Oh, we want Joey in the band and then, you know, Joey is is uh he turns around and says, Well, you know, if this if this is not gonna be permanent, I don't want I don't want to deal with this and Joey left left the band hanging because he, you know they they couldn't come to terms or, or whatever it was at the time and they go back to John and say John we want you back in the band you know and it's like are you for oh, real yeah you want you okay you want me back because I'm your your next available choice exactly yeah, yeah I get that completely you know and then so then he basically says look I'll do you a favor I'll do the commitment of shows that we've gotten that you've got in Europe I'll do those shows but after that, I'm done. And so he does that. And I don't know the exact timeline, but that's, base, that's the basicness of that, of that timeline. After that, he leaves. Now, now they, they're looking for a singer again. And that's when the whole Dan Nelson thing comes up. Yeah. You know, and they eventually go back to Joey. I get that. But I think John was done wrong in that whole scenario. And Absolutely. It's it's especially after they released The Greater of Two Evils, which I think was a, a fantastic cover album because it was it, it covers as in they took all songs by by Joey and Neil Turbin and had Joey I mean had John sing them. And it's a it's a really really great re recording or cover album. It's and then, one of the and best then they out there. immediately followed up with the tour with a reunion with Joey Belladonna and Dan Spitz, which I imagine Rob kind of had feelings about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I can see where Rob is is kind of like, what's up with this? Because he's got this uh, band that he's in, 
and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah Dan's in. You know, we're gonna put Dan in. It's the same same feelings that John has. Well, now Joey's singing. You know, so it's it was weird that that, that whole time period in that mid two thousands was just so strange for Anthrax. Yeah, that's where you know it's hard to describe that that whole. You know, I'm surprised that they're still together with Joey to this day. But I think you know if there's no Joey in the band, there's no there's no Anthrax. Be, and oh, not for be, sure. I think at this point they've kind of burned their bridges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, to, to get to the main topic, uh, we, I mean, we've danced around it and and we've we've said our piece about certain things. I like I like Joey because, like I said, he I think he's the voice of Anthrax. He was introduced to Anthrax in 1985 with the Armed and Dangerous EP that had a different version of Armed and Dangerous that would come out a few months later. It's got a, a re-recorded version of Metal Thrashing Mad on it. It's got a cover of God Save the Queen on it. And then I think there's just the song called, uh, was it Panic? I think is on there. Not Is it Panic? Yeah, Panic is the, it's the live one. Right. It's, it's the fifth song on there. So, you know, it, it that's, that's the introduction to the world. And, I mean, Joey does an amazing job on Armed and Dangerous. I mean, it, it's it's incredible. And then they release Spreading the Disease. And I, I think the, the the version of Armed and Dangerous that's on Spreading the Disease is a little weaker. But it yeah. the, the whole album has one consistent sound. Yeah, I think the Armed and Dangerous EP is one of their best releases with, with Joey, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's because it's like they're coming off of that first album and that album is really nothing to write home about. It's just, it's just, let's just be honest. You know, it's, it's, it's all right. It's got a few cool songs on it that honestly sound better when sung by somebody else. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't mean that in a, a, you know, a mean way to Neil Turbin, but it's just true. I mean, that the band was obviously way more successful with Joey, but I, that EP is just very hard hitting. Then they followed up with spreading disease, and spreading the disease, like you said, is is a bit more consistent sound. But it's it's that kind of feel like the Armed and Dangerous EP just has that that raw attack, you know, like that. It, it's almost like a college, you know, football player trying to prove everything that they can to get into the big leagues. Yeah, you know, it just it just mm-hmm. has that that special quality to it. Correct. Yeah, and the the other song that I was thinking about was a song called Raise Hell, and that's actually a new song that came out on the EP and never released on an album other than the EP. So I, I love the way this, the EP sounds compared to, to Disease, but Disease obviously had some good songs. I mean, there was, there was a lot of good songs in that album. I think the, the John versions <laughs> were, were better to some degree and I think a lot of it had to do with production but 1985 yeah. that's that was the way on low budget metal album was produced so you you get what you get type of thing but it wasn't until 1987 where they released Among the Living that they put their stamp on the scene that they were in and that is a legendary album it's iconic it's you know it's it's an amazing album front to back among the living, the cover, the topics, the songs, everything about that album is just, just legendary and iconic. And oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and, I think it's their strongest release, 
just ahead of that Armed and Dangerous EP. I think it's the strongest release they ever uh, had with Joey, by far. Oh, by, with Joey by far, for sure. State of Euphoria comes out a couple years later. Actually, it comes out a year and a half later. And as good as that album is, there was a lot of there was a little bit of darkness that was attached to the end of that album. That probably between Among the Living and State of Euphoria, those two are probably the most consistent Joey albums, other than the two new ones that they've released recently. Yeah, in terms of sound and in terms of style, because you know it, they they continued the style that they had, which was there's a lot of melody. In the vocals, there's a lot of melody in the choruses, and there's a lot of thrash in 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 the in the band sound itself, um, but still tremendously hooky. But yet, like like spreading the disease, where you have a song like Madhouse, which is just kind of like this catchy song, they they throw in there, you know, antisocial, which is completely different than the rest of the album. And it's basically a mainstay in one of their biggest hits today, which is a cover of a trust song that was originally written in French. So there you have it. I mean, they're two biggest songs, or two of their biggest songs. I don't say they're two biggest, but two of their biggest songs are covers. Got the Time and Antisocial. I mean, Antisocial, I think, closed the show the last time I saw them, which nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a good song. You know, they just didn't write it. <clears throat> Yeah, but, I mean, bands have always done that. They take a song from another band and make it their own, and they definitely did make it their own. Oh, yeah, I mean, like Van Halen and You Really Got Me. I mean, they, that put them on the map, that and, mm-hmm. that and Eruption. You can't, you're not going to take away. I mean, You Really Got Me for a long, long time was synonymous with Van Halen until they really established themselves as their own songwriters. Uh, yeah. And, and then it went, basically, when 1984 changed it changed the the game for them and then Dave left and then everything else changed with Sammy but the next album persistence of time real dark they were they were ridiculed for all the shorts that they were wearing for the teenage mutant ninja turtles for the guitars that were all cartoons and so they literally came back they they, they dressed all in black which was the scene that's their metal scene but they basically dove back into the metal scene and and they were i guess angry at the fans at the scene you know at all the criticism that they were getting and it reflected you know on their album especially also they had the the tragedy of losing all their equipment in the fire in yonkers where they where they practiced so they were they were just pissed (laughs) and it reflects deeply on that album you can tell that something's up with that album I mean, it's a it's a fairly high regarded album. It's, it's a good not, album, for sure. I, I don't personally like it. It's not my thing, but I get that it's good. You know, I when I listen to it, I I recognize the increased quality. I guess it is like mm-hmm. the the you know the the re- the recording quality is better. There there is a a definite darkness to the album that you can feel the 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 mood and i mean that's carried over onto the album cover Uh, you know there's there's something about it that just it doesn't really click with me but i i recognize that why it's considered a good album yeah i mean it's 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 got me obviously has got the time which is one of their staples it it basically shows off 
Frankie's bass playing, especially with his fingers. I mean, he plays that. If I'm not mistaken, he plays that with his fingers. Uh, so it's pretty incredible. Um, but they've got they've got some staples uh, in their set from that album. Um, when they get to play a full set, because you know half the time they're opening acts, so they don't get to play a full set. So they got to throw in all the hits from Among the Living and then Antisocial, because that's really <laughs> that's what they play almost all the time when they're opening acts. To to kind of go with what you were saying, where it you know it doesn't click with you, uh, that album. I mean, the album is dark, and what what I think happened with that album is that it's 1990, grunge is basically taking over, um, all these these bands that are just it's not a, I don't want to use the word that don't care, but they were so stripped of of um, visual value. You know, like, like the Melvins and Screaming Trees. You know, they just went up there and they played a show. It was anti-establishment at the time, right? Exactly. Uh, the establishment had become the overblown look of of metal, and this was the uh, fight against the norm, and right. and that's where grunge came from, and you know, a lot of bands kind of took that on because they had to kind of pick that up or or nobody was listening to them exactly so the thing about the, the music on that album is dark it's not grungy by any means but it it's dark and then you have a vocalist with the stylings of joey and i think that's where scott's discontent with his style came into play and it was shortly after that tour where they where they basically um fired Joey and brought in John even though it was three years in, or yeah three years in between albums there was a lot that happened in between those three years I mean they had the Clash of Titans tour with Megadeth and Slayer and Alice in Chains that, that went on for a while and so once they finally did the whole touring cycle is when they fired when they fired Joey because they wanted someone I guess with a little bit more balls a little bit more rasp a little bit more depth to their voice and that's when they got John at the and John definitely had that. Right. And at the time, I didn't have a problem with it. At the time, I was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. I mean, hell, John's a hell of a vocalist. I mean, I was very well aware of Armored Saint. I was a huge fan of their first album. And then when when they released Symbol of Salvation, I was a big fan of that album. And since Symbol didn't really do anything, John basically took the job and said, you know what? I need to get paid. I need to get, a, I need to continue my career. It's either Armored Saints not doing anything because the, the album didn't go anywhere. And I got a band who's going to, you know, pay me a salary to join their band. 90% of the time, most people are going to pick that, especially with the success that Anthrax was coming off of. Oh, but, for sure. But they changed, and you know, and they, they didn't change. I don't think it was a change in a bad way. They definitely weren't thrash anymore, but they still had a lot of heavy elements to it. Sound of White Noise is an incredibly good album. No, and, and I can see where that evolution came from. You know, from State of Euphoria to Persistence of Time mm -hmm. to Sound of White Noise. There is a progression there. And it just did not seem that Joey was going to work with the direction that they were going. And so they, they bring on John, they put out Sound of White Noise, and Sound of White Noise to me is is the same as Among the Living for Joey. It's that album that just stands out 
that gained them a lot of their fan base at that time and just really defined who this next era of anthrax right exactly i mean they 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 put out a statement they they put out a very very good album and and to to add to the fact that they were trying to get that whole grunge thing going they have dave jordan produce the album which if i'm not mistaken dave had produced alice in chains or was involved with alice in chains at the time so since they knew alice from the clash of titans tour they were able to get the producer dave jordan to go in there and and give them a grungy sounding record yet still metal you know, I mean, it, grunge, there are elements of grunge that are metal. I mean, Alice in Chains is a pretty heavy band, Soundgarden. So they were able to get that element into that album. It sounds great. I loved, I loved the production on that album. I love the songs on that album. I love just the performance overall. It's a great album. One of my favorite Anthrax albums. But for me, it's, it's weird. It's a toss-up between Sound of White Noise and, and We've Come For You All. Those two albums are so good. For me, it's hard to pick which one's better. Well, you may have not known or, or just forgotten to mention, but Dave Jordan was also the guy that, that did Symbol of Salvation. So oh, that, that's that right. relationship was there. That's right. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it was just, you know what, now that I think about it, I don't know if he did Alice in Chains. I know Toby Wright. He did. He did uh, Facelift. Oh, he did first. do Facelift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's weird because, sorry, so this Facelift comes out, in if I'm not mistaken, 1990. 1990, Symbol of Salvation, I believe, came out in 92. 91. 91. Okay, so 91. So so he goes from Allison Chains, he goes to Armored Saint, and then he goes to Anthrax. It, it's it it was a perfect the perfect mix for that guy to to get into that spot because he Anthrax was wanting to get someone like him. Armored Saint had worked with him, and Joey's like, yeah, call let's call up Dave. I mean, and, and Symbol of Salvation is an incredible album. Incredible album. I love that album. So yeah. with, with Sound of White Noise, I mean, they go on tour relatively successful. They got video on MTV for the song only. It's a great album front to back. But after that, all things go haywire for the band, and it's unfortunate. And we, ta- we addressed it at the beginning of this conversation. Stomp 442 comes out. Electro Records basically doesn't back it. They dump the band. There's no promotion behind it. It doesn't have the greatest collection of songs, but there are some really strong songs. Fueled, Nothing, Random Acts of Senseless Violence. Those are good songs. Yeah, there, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of just bad luck that followed this. I mean, Walmart refused to stock the album because... There's a there's a naked dude on the cover. It's an Indian uh, or yeah. Native American. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know? but they they just they thought it was controversial and they didn't want to stock in their stores because because it had a bare ass on on the cover. <laughs> so what's what's interesting though is that album cover was actually supposed to be for Balls to Picasso, the Bruce Dickinson album, but it was it was uh, passed over. Because of the the price tag on the, the the artwork, so it ended up becoming the cover of Stomp Four Four Two, and it it really worked against them. Well, you see, see, you know, Bruce couldn't afford it because he wasn't getting that Iron Maiden money anymore. <laughs> yeah, 
and that's so not true. <laughs> but the, but the album's really not bad. I mean, it, it's 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 a good album. I don't think it's the strongest sound of white noise by any means. But it's it think of it as a sloth, a sophomore slump because this is a different band than the Joey era. This is different chemistry, and so anytime there's a new singer, I always think of it as you know the second album. I'm a little bit more forgiving of because. It's kind of a second take at the sophomore slump. Yeah, and th- but but there's no backing from the studio. There's no uh, you know retailer support because of the album cover. So, so it's just it's just a lot of bad luck. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate because again, you and I spoke about it. it it's a good album. It's it's got good songs, but you know the 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 record company not being behind it is is such a huge thing. Because you start seeing advertising and, and, you know, these people would know it's out there. But if you don't know it's out there, it's going to tank. And mm-hmm. I remember getting the album as a promo because I was working at the record store at the time in Miami. I actually went on to a radio show uh, in in the University of Miami uh, that a friend of mine was was on. And I brought the CD and we played Random Acts of Senseless Violence. And, and it got some good you know some good vibes on it but you know that's just a a tiny radio show that i wasn't really a part of and and it got a few phone calls and it was pretty cool and i left and i never heard anything about it again i like the record you know but when you're when your record company dumps you and and they don't put any money behind it it's going to be real hard to sell records i mean you have to have some sort of crazy radio play or somebody pick something up for you for it to get any sort of action after that yeah, something's got to happen, and it it just didn't. Right, and, and so they, you know, they they uh, switch to ignition, and they release volume eight, and it's you know again it has some good songs on it. It's not as strong as Sound of White Noise. Still, it's I would say it's a fifty fifty album. It's got half of the album is really good, and half the album is passable. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I like the first three songs. And usually, if, if I can get the first three songs on an album and I keep listening to it, it's a pretty good album to me, at least, you know? Yeah. It, you and I have talked about, I, there's a lot of albums I never get past song three because <laughs> I, I keep listening to the first three songs. That, to me, is a good album. But, you know, I I listen to, you know, Toast to the Extras is kind of a goofy song. A Cup of Joe's is a goofy song. They're not one of these... You know, it's not like taint at the end of <laughs> at the end of uh, I'm the man. Yeah, but I mean, Crush, Catharsis, and Inside Out—three really good songs. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. I wish. I mean, today I I, I almost kind of wish that John was still in the band so I could you know go see them and maybe they might have a chance of playing these songs because it, it's a, such a disappointment that that those songs are not played. Any song from Sound of White Noise, any song from Stomp 442, any song from, you know, Volume 8, or even, you know, We've Come For You All, all those songs are just locked away in the vault somewhere because, you know, Joey's not going to sing them. He's, he only sang only and then said, F- forget that, I can sing my own stuff. Yeah, it's really disappointing because there are a lot of good songs from this era of the band and the egos get in the way of fans being able to hear some really great music. Right. Now, what we talked about before when it came to consistency with with Anthrax, they finally got some consistency when it came to We've Come For You All. 
not in terms of songwriting, because the songwriting on that album is across the board all over the place. Not a bad thing. They've got some thrash songs. They've got some metal songs. They've got some blues songs, like it or not. They've got some punky kind of songs on there. But it all flows well in that record. And what I like about that is the sound was solid. I mean, from the point when they made uh, that album and then they did Greater of Two Evils, you could see that they were in a, headed in a direction where their sound was starting to become consistent. And even into worship music and For All Kings, the sound that they've developed over those, you know, I guess you would you could say uh, 17 years, it's been that's been the most consistent of their career, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I like it. I wish they would have continued with John, you know, after we've come for you all, but so they got Joey back, and they come back with worship music, and I gotta say that is one hell of a damn good album. I wish it had more songs on it, maybe like one or two more that were a little bit heavier. For 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 what it's worth, it's a pretty good album. Love it. Uh, they came out and said that For All Kings was better than Worship Music. I don't I necess- disagree with that. I, I disagree. Think worship music's the stronger of the two. Yeah, I, I I think so too. But For All Kings is still a very strong album. You know, for quote unquote the third sophomore <laughs> album that they've put out, it's pretty damn strong. There are some songs on there that they said were you know the best songs of their career. I disagree, but again, still very strong album. Yeah, worship music was a surprise to me because at that point I I had kind of dropped off the map with with Anthrax and I was watching that metal show and they were advertising worship music and I was kind of like ah you know it's Anthrax you know they they you know weren't very consistent they just you know they were never a band that I really paid attention to for the most part until I got older and um, when I heard worship music because I I just on a whim went ahead and listened to it i was like wow this is this is pretty good this is almost on the level of of sound of white noise and and among the living it's it's a really consistently good album yeah it's a very strong album what what i what i find funny about anthrax is they are so of the times put it that way like in the in the 80s they were so into stephen king books they were so into that whole style comic books and and Stephen King all their songs were about that uh, among the living i am the law about judge dread you know skeletons in the closet a stephen king book and then they they do worship music and there's you know the cover is is like zombie related fight them so you can't fight no more is a zombie song kind of taken from the pages of of uh, the walking dead yeah is that there's there's that zombie theme ish in in some of the songs, and then they admit going into For All Kings that there's there was a heavy influence from Game of Thrones, especially with like uh, was it Blood Eagle Wings, which is weird because they never really did Blood Eagles in Game of Thrones, but they did it on Vikings. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, they, so there's yeah. a there's that Viking there's that whole vibe of the old. Well, I mean Scott's. A nerd. I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, he just he loves that kind of stuff. He's always loved comic books. He's always loved, you know, the the, the nerdier aspects of, of uh, media. 
and right. he's always incorporated that stuff into his music and you know the times that he didn't like uh persistence of time those were the albums that didn't really appeal to me so <laughs> right so you know it's you know be true to yourself and i think people will will enjoy it and i think that's really shown in these last two albums so. I, I, i'm i'm kind of uh excited to hear what whatever new album they're going to come out with in the next year or so they've been writing an album from what i understand it was supposed i think it was supposed to come out this year uh so i don't know if it's in the can or or what the deal is or if they're writing some more songs i have a feeling i have a feeling it's going to be very political and it's going to be very pissed I off hope not. <laughs> well when i say political i mean obviously they they write in in a, in a way uh that that they'll get their point across but it won't be a a political you know statement type of thing yeah cuz it, it like I said the Game of Thrones theme that's in For All Kings is really only one or two songs. Um, same thing with the, the zombie theme. So if it's one or two songs, fine. If it if it's when I say political, it's it's a matter of they're pissed off at the current politics. So it's gonna it's gonna help them bring out an angry thrash album, for what it's worth. Yeah, so. I I don't know. I I and now and I now with the pandemic, the they might they might general. have with the pandemic, they might have a. Um, a, a night, an interesting topic to write about. Yeah, I'm just. I kind of feel like at this point with the world, I, I kind of want to escape from reality to a bit when I or a bit when I listen to music and watch movies. I don't want it thrown in my face, which I think is a big thing about what's happening in media in general. Is that it's it's there's an utter lack of creativity out there in the world right now, and people are just, just really hitting it on the nose way too hard there's no there's no simile there's no metaphor there's no telling a story where you have to think about it it's like right there in your face and nobody is is being creative anymore and i mean that in a very general term i don't mean every specific person out there in the world is not being creative but i i think it's it's something that's really happening in a lot of media and I hope that people start kind of waking up and start saying, you know, we can better ourselves rather than dwelling in this this dreck that we're living in. And, you know, yes, obviously these points need to be brought up that the the things that are happening to people, the things that are, are being brought up are very important. But at the same time, we still need an escape. And music, I think, it's it's it suffers a lot of times when it's just so on the nose and being brought into politics and it's shown over the years with many 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 albums and bands so i hope that that's not all that it is and there's there's more to it and that it's it's more of a every band's album that's coming out i hope is is just a, this time that we have where we're we're you know in this cage that we're living in essentially People are are exploring their creativity again. I, I think I think they are. I mean, I wouldn't put it past certain bands to to put out something that touches or hints at at, at the the current environment that's out there, whether mm -hmm. it is political or pandemic, one of the two. And I'm not in, I'm not condoning either one in that regards, but I think somewhere along the way it's going to help certain bands. 
I'm amazed a Rage Against the Machine hasn't even reunited to make an album because this is just like meant for them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that being said, what this does for the genre of heavy metal is just gives them so much to talk about. And I'm not even just talking about the politics. I'm you know the the pandemic and just the the thing happening the the, the divide with people and stuff like that right now. There's a lot to talk about, and I think it's going to be a good thing for the metal community uh at the same time let's hope it's not too far in your face you know like a rage against machine well that that it becomes let let me say this whenever music has always progressed in in a forward direction it's been like these musicians are a little bit ahead of their time and they're they're the ones that change the direction of the culture and it's it's not just musicians it's it's film it's it's you know I remember in the 1990s, wrestling became such a huge part of our culture and changing the, the, you know, the, the, the vibe of free expression. And, and music did the same with the grunge music movement, kind of progressed things in a different direction. And music has always done that. And I almost feel like in order to, for us to reach that next stage, it has to be progressed beyond where we are now and not looking back to the last few months, the last year, the last two years, the last four years. If you, you know, if you get my, my drift there. Um, yeah, we just, we need to move forward. And, uh, I know this is very off topic from, from anthrax, but it's true. I mean, I, I'm, I want to look forward to the future. I want to, I want to grow as a humanity. Oh, of course. You know, I, I agree with you on that uh, wholeheartedly. You know, it, it, wrapping it into what we're talking about with Anthrax is, is, you know, I just feel as a band who's always on topic, there's going to be something to be said about whatever the topic is of the day, you know. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think it's going to be an entire album, you know, and I hope not. But there's definitely going to be... A darkness and an angriness that's going to come out uh, from this next Anthrax album whenever it comes out. Hopefully, it comes out this year, if not early next year. Yeah, and I, I hope that's all that it is. I hope it's not just straight on the nose, but yeah, it, the mood, the feel that you the band is feeling. You know, just like what we talked about with uh, Persistence of Time, that can be an influence on the sound. And yeah, maybe hopefully it makes a heavy, heavy album. That'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, there's a lot of expectations, you know, even Metallica apparently is, is, uh, hitting the studio to some, to some degree, or at least songwriting mode. So let's see what happens with them. Let's see what happens with, you know, all the, the, the big bands of, of this genre. And hopefully, you know, I mean, supposedly Iron Maiden's albums in the can, I don't particularly agree with the fact that they're going to continue the Legacy of the Beast tour next year, but that's neither here nor there with them. <laughs> to, to to wrap this all up, basically, for in this topic, both eras, you know, you got the Joey era, you got the John era, both eras are, are basically classic in, in in their respective time zone, time frames. My, my preference is the Joey era, and we're back to Joey era. You are on John's side, and like I said, I love John. I met John. John's a cool guy. You know, I've met the guys in Anthrax. So it's 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 hard to, to, to put one over the other because they're both so classic. And I know you have your uh, opinion on it. And so here we are. Well, I think, 
you know, I, I kind of can agree with you that Joey is the guy when it comes to Anthrax. I mean, especially now, you don't, you don't even get any of the music from, from John's era, the band. But that being said, I think John could have done so much more for that band had it not been such a bad series of unfortunate events that happened. Because I think a lot of their music got overlooked because of issues with the the studios, etc. People not carrying their music, whatever happened. And it's a very underrated time period for that band. John has such an amazing voice. He is a very talented songwriter. And they were really just ramping up with We've Come For You All and The Greater of Two Evils. And then everything just kind of went by the wayside. So to me, you know, having grown up in the in the late 80s or early 90s and him being the front man of that band, to me, Anthrax will always be, you know, the John Bush era in my eyes. But I totally get why somebody that grew up with the band that those classic albums like Among the Living and Spreading the Disease are synonymous with the name Anthrax and Joey Belladonna was the singer on those albums. So I get it. Awesome. So that brings us to the big four Anthrax songs for the evening. Would you like to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first. I don't know who did it last time, but... It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> All right, so uh, for number four... I'm uh, I'm going with a Joey Belladonna song. How dare uh, you! It's it's <laughs> it's off of uh, worship music, and that's "Fight 'Em Till You Can't." Wow, I I really like that song. It is it is it's you know it when you were talking about the Walking Dead, it kind of rung a bell with me. You know, a lot of the, the themes of of that album are almost like a survival theme. Yes, and that yeah, that makes sense. So, "Fight 'Em Till You Can't" is one of those those songs where it's I mean it's it's exactly what's in the title, just fight till your last breath, and it's it's a cool riff. I I really like that song. It's from a great album from that era. I really like Joey's voice in the the newer uh, albums. He's he's got a more mature, a little bit lower voice yes i feel like it's a bit stronger as well than it was when he was very young and i i enjoy his music more now than i did in those first early albums yeah from what i understand when they did worship music and they got joey to come in and sing the vocals uh jay rustin the producer uh literally was by himself with joey the band was Mm -hmm. not around and they just concentrated on making the best vocal tracks that they could possibly make and it, it definitely shows on that album Oh yeah, they, they they really did, and and like I said, his voice has matured quite a bit, and in a good way. All right, so a number three is another Joey song, "Among the Living." That's the first song you hear on that album, and it's a strong one. It's one that's always stuck with me, even when I wasn't the biggest fan of that band. I remember hearing that song, and that riff always just kind of stuck in my head. I I've always liked it. Um, I I like hearing other versions covers of the of the the song like the John cover. It's great. I tried to split this because <laughs> both of them are both of them are great singers. They're both synonymous with the band. So I picked two Joey and two John tracks. And uh, number two is Potter's Field. First track of, of Sound of White Noise. Man, 
What a heavy hitter. I love it that is, song. It is a badass song. It sets the tone for, you know, what he was going to do in that band. And it's just, it's one of my favorites from, from them. It's still to this day, I have it on my universal playlist that I add, you know, all the songs that I really like. So it's, it's uh, always going to be on there. And, uh, number one is only, which is the second song off of sound of white noise. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just a solid song. There, there's not much to say about it other than let me repeat what uh, James Hetfield said about it. It is almost a perfect song. It is a damn good song. I love that song too. So for me, my big four, I had trouble coming up with my big four because I love so many Anthrax songs. Like I said, they're one of my favorite bands. And it, it was... I don't know, for, for whatever reason, you know, with, with Iron Maiden, with Metallica, with ACDC, those bands, when I picked their big four, there was very definitive songs for me as to what my number one song was, and even my number two. But this list, I mean, you picked three different songs on your list that I don't have. There's one repeat that, that I have. And you're not wrong. Uh, at all you know i'm like damn those are good songs i I wish i would have picked them but (laughs) i picked something else and even then the ones that i picked there was one song i was like man i really want to put this in my top four but i couldn't put it in there you know and so just for tonight we're going to do an honorable mention (laughs) um my honorable mention is skeletons in the closet it's an awesome book it's an awesome song I really love the, the the topic and how how they they just basically translated that into a song about a guy who was a, an SS soldier in World War II Nazi Germany, and this kid in the neighborhood found out who he was, and basically held him hostage to tell to, for him to t- tell him stories about what happened, and then it all comes down to a a showdown at the end. Pretty cool song, very good topic. So, my number four song uh, is Safe Home off of We've Come For You All. There's a reason why I chose that song. That is a song that my wife and I, together, we actually put that on our CD that we gave out as a gift to all of our participants, but the people who came to our wedding back in uh, 2007 (laughs) uh, when we moved here. That, that, that song just means a lot to both of us. So it had to be in my top four Anthrax songs, so I put that in there. Number three, Armed and Dangerous from the Armed and Dangerous EP, not the Spreading the Disease version. Uh, that song was after the songs from Among the Living was the first song I heard that was different from the, the Among the Living album. And it was such such a much it was much better version than what came out on Spreading the Disease. And when the first time I heard Disease, I was like, oh, God, what did they do to the song? I was just like so disappointed. I just ran back and listened to this version. So, yeah, love that version. I, lo- I just love the way Joey came out and was just all over the place, you know, in, in, in a good way uh, with his vocals. He basically showed his range, and that was awesome. My Isn't num- that funny? 
Sorry to, to yeah. interrupt, but isn't that funny how when we get used to a version of a song, like I, I specifically remember the version of Time Machine that from Black Sabbath that was on the Wayne's World soundtrack, mm-hmm. and then and then I got the the version that was on the uh, Dehumanizer album, and I was like, what happened to this song? <laughs> yeah, and same thing. I, I mean, I don't know. It's not drastically different, but there's a different mix when it comes to Mob Rules. From the from the movie Heavy Metal, oh, yeah, yeah, and the and the album, so yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, but they have to do that because the record company doesn't want them to have the same version. Um, yeah, so it'll sell more. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. and sometimes the version that they give to the to the to the to the other business venture, uh, sometimes is the better version. So you know. Oh yeah, like I liked the Time Machine version from Wayne's World way better. Right. Exactly. <laughs> My number two song is. The same as your number two song, Pottersfield, off of the Sound of White Noise album. Like you said, what a way to introduce John to the Anthrax fans. Uh, besides the fact that the single only came out, pot, the lyrics to Pottersfield are so awesome. It's so dark and, and, and moody and so deep. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of depth to that song. It's personal to somebody, <laughs> so I, I, it's a really cool song. I love that song. Um, my number one song, however, is not only because it's it's uh, another song. It's Indians off of Among the Living. That song is near and dear to my heart for whatever reason. I'm not Native American, but I have a very strong tie to to Native Americans, and I love that song. Um, there's just so much going on in that song, the mosh parts. The, the just the speed of it and i got a small little story to say when i saw anthrax for the first time in 1987 in the cameo theater in miami beach florida they played this song somewhere towards the middle of their set and anthrax specifically scott ian had a problem with one of his security guards mishandling a stage diver and he didn't like the way he uh he he dealt with the kid and basically Scott kicked him in the back of the head the security guard and it started a fight between the band and security Charlie Benante jumped over his drum set and basically jumped into the crowd to start fighting the security and there was a big fight between literally the band and security and the show stopped for probably a good 15 to 20 minutes and got restarted again Charlie comes back out and says hey we'll be out in a few minutes we're just trying to deal with security. They they got rid of all the security. The, 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 the yellow-shirted event staff were gone. And they actually had some skinheads that were part of the audience that became the security for the rest of the show. And they only had maybe five songs left. And then they that was it. So it was interesting. And it happened during the Indian song. Joey had come out with his big headdress on and had to go back inside. And he came back out with it again. This time the feathers were a little disheveled. <laughs> what a so, story! <laughs> it, it was it was quite. I mean, I've had I've got a lot of interesting stories when it comes to anthrax, but that's that was the first time I had been to, well, second time I've been to a club show. Um, I had seen Ace Freely earlier that year, um, and then I saw Anthrax later that year. So really cool. Indians, my number one song. All right, so that's it for our big four. And what do you got for him, Chris? All right, so that's it for Debating Metal this week. Be sure to tune in next week to episode 25 when we're going head-to-head once again with Black Sabbath. 
Ozzy versus Ronnie. We'll also be back again with more rusty metal and freshly forged recommendations. I'm Chris Kay, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, remember, always turn it up to 11.